The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. A tough week for basketball and a super wild card weekend. It is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes is here. You are there on a Monday night at 7.02. This is Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, 89.7 FM. WVFS Tallahassee streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. The show available as the next day uh, as a podcast at V89Sports on Twitter and Instagram for all of our show updates, articles, any content that we produce. Stay tuned uh, to those accounts for that. But we've got a great show lined up for this Monday evening talking about Florida State basketball, men's and women's. Men's have another 0-2 0-2 week, and they you know sink a little bit deeper into the ACC standings. And then for women's basketball, they, they beat number 11 NC State, but then lost to Louisville yesterday, another good ACC team. So 1-1 uh, and one on the week, and we'll talk about uh, where they're at. The men also get Baba Miller back, so lots of things to discuss from there. And then also, as we mentioned at the top, the NFL playoffs opened up this past weekend with a super wild card weekend. It's not even finished yet. I feel like I, I need a Tums or some kind of antacid because the Buccaneers are kicking off uh, within about an hour or so, taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but all the other games are wrapped up, and we can talk about that. We can also preview some some matchups to take place next week for divisional round weekend. But really glad to have you aboard and part of the show, introducing the crew to take you through the next hour or so. I'm William Haynes, our co-host of the show, Jackson Bake. It's Jackson. Good to have you back. Thanks, William. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll tell you, the weekend so far, the Super NFL playoff for all the marbles wild card weekend was so good so far that if I was any better, I'd be dead, honestly. And um, I will say, a wise man once told me, you keep your expectations low, and I, and I know you as a Bucks fan, uh, you've, you know, you've had some success in the past, you've also dealt with some trauma, like I, as have I as a Dolphins fan, but a wise man once told me, keep your expectations low, and um, you'll never be disappointed. So, um, just some words of optimism for you, and... Uh, good luck to you tonight. Well, I, I appreciate that, Jackson. And, uh, yeah, my condolences for, for not just your, but also uh, someone, Ian, who we'll introduce in a moment, your guys, uh, yeah. Miami my, Dolphins. My expectations were so low, and I still was disappointed. So, uh, you know, I, I'm just sad. I'm just sad, man. Yeah. I'm just sad. But if I was doing any better, I'd be dead. Well, there you go. There's Jackson Bacon. You also covered your first uh, men's basketball game this year, so we'll mm-hmm. have your expert analysis on the uh, FSU-Virginia game on Saturday afternoon. Now moving to the two panelists with us in studio tonight, Ian Hughes. We'll start with you, the voice you heard moments ago talking about those Miami Dolphins. But also, I don't know if we've had you on since, but you're also you have your own DJ show here at WVFS. So now maybe people listening might not just know you from from V89 Sports, but also your DJ shift. Yes, and my beautiful blo- voice. My beautiful voice plays Friday from one to four in the PM. So if anybody's interested in that, there's a plug. All right, Fridays from one to four. You heard them. What kind of music do you play? kind of music that i like and then okay there you <laughs> go yeah, ian do you have a dj name or is it just it's dj ian dj ian i like you can't it. really shorten ian e dj e it's, it's easy ian. Maybe, easy, but dj easy ian there you go okay no. that feels like a derivative yeah i guess rounding out the crew tonight Andrew Cheney, your first show of this spring semester. We had you on for uh, the show that we previewed the Syracuse football game. You had some great analysis for us there. But I don't necessarily want to bury the lead here because you're also a burgeoning star in the Tallahassee stand-up comedy uh, community. So, Andrew, good to have you back on the show. Yes, it's my high honor and distinct privilege to be here this evening. Well, we got a great show planned out for tonight. You can be a part of it. You, the listener at home, 850 644-1837, the number to call. Pick up the phone, dial us up, talking about Florida State men's and women's basketball, NFL playoffs as well. And, uh, Andrew, I will say, every single time you grace us with your presence, I I know, it doesn't matter how hard I try, I will be outdressed, no matter what. I will be, at at the very best, the second best looking person in the room. So, uh, we appreciate uh, just... I, I don't want to overuse the word, but just the swag you bring to the studio, man. 
We appreciate you. you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Everything I learned, I learned from Deion Sanders. Nice. You look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good. Peeking in from behind the glass, our great producer of the show is Jack Oliaro. He'll be screening your telephone calls. Also want to give a couple quick shout-outs to him. Turn 21 last week. That was great to, to throw him in the fountain, of course. And also, he's doing SID work for Florida State now. He writes uh, the some of the recaps on Seminoles.com for women's basketball. He'll be statting the FSU softball games this spring. So big things for our producer of the show. And, and uh, he'll be, like I said, your call is at 850-644-1837 if you want to come on the show uh, tonight. But now the slate that we have, starting with FSU football, because as there is nearly every week, there's still some more things to go over. The first of which, a change amongst the coaching staff. So at the end of the year, Marcus Woodson, who uh, was the defensive backs coach, his contract expired at the very end of 2022. FSU, and I think kind of Woodson as well, neither side really looking to come to any kind of extension or, or re-agreement. They wanted to part their separate ways. So Marcus Woodson now is the co-defensive coordinator at Arkansas. So he's out. FSU needs someone to replace that spot. And they finally did make that announcement this past week. NFL player, former NFL player Patrick Sertan takes over as defensive back coach. He was the a defensive analyst for the Dolphins this past season. He was a, a head coach at the high school level with American Heritage uh, High School in Miami from 2016 to 2021. While he was there, six or, or sorry, three state titles and six draft picks in the 2021 draft alone, FSU uh, legend Brian Burns among them, uh, played 10 NFL seasons at the cornerback position with the Dolphins and Chiefs. He was an all-pro, made, I think, three Pro Bowls as well. So I think coming away from uh, Sertan versus all the other candidates, I, I think this was this was the splash move. This was the move that excited a lot of people. He's got great connections to the area of South Florida, which is very important, but it, I just read off his resume. He knows a lot about playing in the cornerback position as well. William, I, I do have a question, though. Do you think he taught Marco Wilson how to throw shoes? You know, he, he taught a lot of great players how to cover great wide receivers, but, you know, the arm strength that Marco Wilson had, I mean, just to be able to throw Florida's season away that year uh, with just that two, that shoot toss alone was stupendous. And I, I guess he learned it all from, from Coach uh, Certain, but... Um, I'll tell you what, uh, Coach Norvell got the home run hire for that position. Absolutely. Right. And, um, you know, not only will I think uh, defensive backs and cornerbacks and, and those in the secondary be excited to learn from not only just a great football player, but someone that was on the uh, Miami Dolphins franchise's uh, 50th season all-time team. I mean, he is uh, just an electric he was an electric player, and I think he will be a great coach for the Florida State Seminoles. I think it was it was the perfect hire, and I you know a lot of people were throwing the name Cromartie around, um, but this was the great hire that no one really I don't think anybody really expected. That wasn't he wasn't a name that I had heard. Yeah, I think it's a very good hire. I mean, um, obviously his resume speaks for itself. Um, him leaving the Dolphins for the Seminoles is. You know, it's like a lateral move for us, for me and Jackson, so I'm totally fine with that. Um, I think what's really exciting about it is the potential for FSU to kind of, like, get back to that kind of defensive dominance in the secondary, like they have a story, you know, Jalen Ramsey, Derwin James. DBU. Exactly, DBU. Those Deion kind of guys. Sanders. Do we, Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders. You know, we don't talk about him anymore. Yeah. He is a mixed relationship with the campus. Um, but, yeah, I think that he can definitely help us get back there, and that's a very exciting prospect. Yeah, he does almost kind of remind me a little bit of, of Deion Sanders from the coaching perspective. A guy, I mean, I said Sertan, an all-pro, not obviously not at Sanders' level as a player, but a guy that knows the position really well, knows the game really well. He's been around uh, a lot of different teams and, and places and things like that. You may also know Patrick Sertan II, which was a first-round pick for the Broncos a couple years ago, and, and I think the Broncos had... The number one defense for a while, and it must have finished, you know, in the top three or the top five, and he's been a big part of their success. So anywhere you look at for Patrick Sertan, there's been nothing but success, and and the hope that that will continue. And there was a a lot of chatter, particularly after that Oklahoma game, about the defense and the defensive coaching staff after that performance. They didn't play particularly well. They didn't have a great game against Florida. I mean, you go down the line, 
Um, you know, great front seven, but the secondary at times there were some issues there. So that's a, a new move in the coaching staff. So there will be in some form or fashion a different look uh, in the back of Florida State's defense in 2023. Uh, also, a couple other notes on the player side of things. Wide receiver Malik McLean enters the transfer portal. He appeared in all 15 games uh, a total of the last two years. 190 yards in 2021, 206 yards this past season. So never really took off the ground. Started playing as a true freshman. A guy from IMG that had decommitted to Florida State and then recommitted uh, as a player. Spent a couple of years in Tallahassee, and, and he'll be on his way out. Uh, a little bit of a roster crunch. Uh, Florida State currently is over the 85-player scholarship threshold, so they're going to have to get rid of some of those scholarship guys and uh, a wide receiver room with the players that you saw this year, but also Hakeem Williams, the five-star high school prospect who, who uh, signed on the dotted line, and he'll be playing uh, for the Seminoles next year. And also Winston Wright, who transferred over from West Virginia, got hurt in a car crash during the spring and didn't play a game last year. He's returning, so... Some big-time receivers for Florida State coming back, and, and Malik McClain was the odd man out. Uh, now, in addition for this team, defensive end Gilbert Edmond transfers to Florida State from South Carolina. That pipeline continues. I think this is like the third or fourth, maybe even the fifth player that's transferred over from South Carolina coming to Florida State. Gilbert Edmond, 6'5", 250 pounds. Played three seasons at South Carolina. I think an academic honor roll guy every single season. So maybe a, a guy that can help boost up your team GPA, your academic progress rate. That that can never hurt you. Last season with the Gamecocks, 39 tackles with nine tackles for loss. Last year, just two of those are sacks. With Jared Verse coming back and, and the rest of the talented defensive line, I don't know if Edmund is going to be a starter, but in, in today's game, you can never have too many guys, particularly coming off the edge. And absolutely, and, and we we saw guys, um, guys like, uh, pardon me, I'm blanking. Um, what's his name? Off, he's an edge rusher. Been there, Derek McClendon. Excuse me. Sorry, pardon me. Um, him kind of splitting reps with some guys. I think you know you might see they like to rotate guys on that edge spot, um, particularly guys that you know aren't the guy. Uh, so, for instance, you had Jared Verse on one edge, and he was playing a lot of snaps, but then you had Derek McClendon on the other end uh, switching around. Um, so I, you'd like to think Edmonds will get some snaps. You'd like to think he'll make some significant playing time, but uh, we'll have to see. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he would have probably come to Florida State if he didn't think he would at least be getting uh, a good amount or more than he was getting at South Carolina. Because Carol I mean, South Carolina is a good ball club. They're, they're, they're a team that's trending up on the rise. You know, I don't think they'll um, – you know, compete for an SEC uh, East championship, but uh, especially with Georgia, excuse me, I, I don't think, you know, they might sniff second or third, maybe, but, um, you know, that that's a team that, that might win nine games next year. So yeah. um, some might say, some might think that, you know, this is a, a huge step up on the, on the ladder form, but um, some might also consider a lateral move. So um, for, for Florida State to get Edmonds, that's a, that's a big deal. And he was pretty highly touted on the, the transfer rankings. Florida State is absolutely cleaned up in the portal again. I know maybe that's a story that's been overstated a little bit, but all these players coming in, FSU reloading in a major way. And, you know, a lot of people have talked about Coach Norvell's ability as a recruiter, but then you, you kind of look and you say, well, their, their recruiting rankings coming for high school rankings isn't necessarily the best when you compare it to a Florida or a Miami, but... You know, when you have the number one transfer portal, uh, people want to see see immediate progress. And you know, you you look at the the Texas A and M uh, recruiting class that was number one, con they're considered the best recruiting class ever last year, and they, you know, they just absolutely play horrible this past season. What five and seven, right? Um, so recruiting classes out of high school aren't going to give you an immediate impact like people think it is. So um, to have that in the transfer portal is uh, just a huge, huge boost for your program. That's why Florida State has been able to return to relevance as quickly as they did kind of out of nowhere. It you you, wasn't about developing 18-, 19-year-olds, but you had guys already playing college football ready to come over and, and just get more time. 
Moving on to some other quick FSU sports notes before we head to basketball. On the track and field side of things, their their season started just this past week. They had an invitational in Clemson. Uh, Ismael Cohn breaks the Florida State record for the 60-meter dash in just a hair over six and a half seconds, tied for the 11th best in NCAA history, uh, and sets the world-leading mark as well. Uh, the Florida State cheerleaders, they won the national championship I think that was Sunday or within the last couple of days. The first, their first ever co-ed cheerleader championship. They won the all-girl division in 1997. But uh, really great to, to see that. Something that uh, great about Florida State football and great about the band. It's not just the team on the field and the success, but the, the venue, Doe Campbell Stadium, the world-renowned marching chiefs, and now a national champion winning cheerleader squad. That's just part of college football, and it's part of why Florida State is such a recognizable brand, so good to see them get the recognition there. And then for Florida State soccer, the uh, National Women's Soccer League draft was this past week, the Professional Women's Soccer League in America, or at least the, the main most notable one. Florida State had three players drafted in the top 10. Emily Madrill, the third overall pick to the Orlando Pride, and then two players from last year's team, Jenna Nyswanger, Goes fourth overall to the New York slash New Jersey Gotham and Clara Robbins ninth overall uh, to the North Carolina Courage. An interesting note that I, Mark Kerkorian, the the previous coach of Florida State soccer, he's the GM of the Washington Spirit now. And and by the time he got a pick, I think it was the second or third round, all the Florida State players and the draft had already been taken. Some some players that he had coached uh, at Tallahassee, but. Emily Madrill didn't play for Florida State last year. She was playing professionally over in Europe, but uh, she was there for five or six seasons, and she won a national championship. And, and Nicewanger and Robbins, uh, both midfielders as well. Nicewanger was up for the, uh, the 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 main award for the best player in women's college soccer. You you look at their the three players, their legacy. They all won two national titles, 2018 and 2021, four ACC titles. And you combine uh, the three, 42 goals and 66 assists during their time at Florida State. And all top 10 picks of the next level, there's another Florida State sport, uh, you know, sending players professionally. And it's, it's always good to see uh, Florida State success in all of their athletic departments, um, in all of their athletic varsity clubs, and it's, and it's also their club sports as well. It's always good to see, um, you know, exceptional athletes coming together to uh, – Win the whole dang thing, and it's it's there's a lot of pride in the Tallahassee community for you know all the different sports, um, whether it's football all the way down to track, all the way you know down to, to volleyball, um, and and it's great when Tallahassee comes together and uh, really celebrates uh, our great sports. That's true. There's no doubt about that. So. As we move on now to Florida State basketball, you can call us up, 850-644-1837, the telephone line. Once again, starting with uh, the men's 0-2 week this past week. They're 5-13 and now on the season, 3-4 and in ACC play. Their loss on Wednesday on the road at Wake Forest by a score of 90-75. to FSU shot the ball well in the game. Offense played well. Uh, they also out-rebounded the Demon Deacons by seven. Uh, but like what happens seemingly every time these two teams get together, uh, Wake Forest shot the ball unbelievably well. They made 14 three-pointers, and they went 54% from beyond the arc, 14 of 26, just shooting uh, like crazy. Uh, it was close for most of the first half, and then Wake Forest pulls away later. Matthew Cleveland with a double-double, 19-12. and 12. Caleb Mills also had a, a good game, 19 points in just 21 minutes. And, of course, the debut in 2022 for Baba Miller played just 17 minutes off the bench, 2 of 4 from the field with 4 points, but had 4 rebounds and a block. We saw him get turned around defensively under the basket. I got worked around in the paint, but uh, starting to, to show some some points of growth I guess but just 17 minutes in his Florida State career Wake Forest had three starters score 20 or more uh, and they were all I think you know close to 75 percent from the field and like I said I mean we've seen this before Florida State's offense played well but you just couldn't stop Wake Forest getting hot uh, especially from three yeah and you know to talk about Baba Miller I mean um, 
it was a debut you expected to see someone that uh that was trying to ease into the game someone that was trying to get used to game speed and um when you know you see this a lot in in football um when guys are are playing against their own defense guys that they play against every day and they have, and then they have to go against you know a completely different squad that has completely different tendencies and idiosyncrasies that's your word of the day um Guys can guys on defense can just look confused and they can they can look flustered and um, so it's not anything unexpected to for Bob Al Miller and uh, his tonsillitis the tonsillitis has uh, the bug has gotten to to Mr Miller um, so it will not be Miller time um, for a little bit was it two weeks right from his original diagnosis I believe is what I heard wow um, so uh, I'll look that up later and and give you an update on that but um, you know the Knowles. For for them to be rebounding better, um, I think that's a good sign to see if you're if you're a Florida State fan. Um, but there's a lot to clean up all the way around the board. We got any of the thoughts about that Wake Forest game? Uh, well, just more general thoughts, I guess. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like but a, I'm going to go over the Virginia yeah, game too. We'll get to both okay, of them. Well, I can wait. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Coach Hamilton is now calling his offensive scheme the Silver Linings Playbook because that seems to be all Florida State basketball can generate these days. Oh man! So a loss on the road to Wake Forest, and now on Saturday afternoon, the number 13 team in the country coming in, uh, University of Virginia. Florida State dropped that game as well. 67 to 58. Virginia had four three-pointers in five possessions about 5 minutes into the first half. They were up 17 to 9 and they, you know, pretty much controlled some sort of lead from that point forward. Uh in the game, they go 11 of 22 from 3. So, two ACC teams that shoot 50% or better from 3, uh, you know, shooting 10 or more threes, that's going to be hard to beat. Uh, Florida State's defense gets cooked a little bit again. Matthew Cleveland, right at the end of the game, gets to 10 points and with 10 rebounds at the end of the game. That's good for his seventh straight double-double. That uh, mark hasn't been achieved at Florida State uh, since 1971-72 by Reggie Royals. That was a year where Florida State went to the national championship game. Uh, I don't think Florida State has that in the cards for this season. You're but... saying that record precedes my dad's sweet Steve, Steve Bakich? In 1984, when he was playing for for Florida State men's basketball, how many career points? Uh, he shot 50 from 50 um, percent from the free throw line. So I mean, he was he was consistent. So, <laughs> all right, all time great. Yeah, uh, love you, Dad. Darren Green and Caleb Mills. You add both of their their days up. They combined to go seven of 27 from the field. That comes out to just 26%. So we said, you know, Mills had an efficient day on a Wednesday, and he didn't play very much against Wake Forest. Um, his minutes have been fluctuating as he's struggled with consistency. Darren Green, I think, has had a good year. Played his 100th game uh, this week. He spent all that time at UCF, but now with Florida State, but he struggled again. Florida State won the rebounding battle, Jackson. This was something we talked about. You even uh, asked a question to the head coach about it. Uh, 33 to 32, we out rebound a Virginia team that really takes pride on their defense and and the rebounding. I mean, and like, on the offensive boards as well, right? And so, um, you know, we asked Coach Hamilton about it uh, after the game, and he 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 kind of laughed and said, you know, there. I, you know, I said, has that been a a point of um, focus in the last couple of practices? And um, he basically just laughed and said, you know, we're working on everything right now. Um, and so, you know, you don't expect. Uh, any less from a you know a five and what thirteen team now five and five and twelve, whatever the, the mark is, um, exactly. But you know, they're a team that's that's trying to to do the right things. You know, they're still three and three in ACC play, or is it three and four now? It's three and four now. Three and yeah. four now in ACC play, <laughs> um, and I think you know obviously I don't think they're gonna make it to March. Might not even make it to the NIT. But I, I think this team has an opportunity to. Finish the rest of the season over 500, or excuse me, the rest of their games over five. I don't think they'll finish over 500, but finish the rest of their games over 500, and um, really have some momentum going into next season. Here's hoping. I mean, the uh, it's been a bit of a bizarro season for FSU thus far, hasn't it? Um, I mean, generally speaking, FSU prides itself on its its depth and the uh, you know bench players, and at least while I've been here, they've 
traditionally been a pretty good like three-point shooting team. And obviously the defense has also been a strong suit, and just none of that has been here this year. I mean, look at you know the, the, the stats from the Virginia game. They only had three players come off the bench, none of them longer than eight and a half minutes, and not a single one isn't a plus, you know, plus or minus either. Like it's just nobody is contributing off the bench. And, and not only that, not, Matthew, not, not, not just points, but like you know the little things, rebounds, yeah. assists. Not it's just not happening. Matthew Cleveland played forty minutes exactly. And, yeah, that's and, the entire game. And Ham <laughs> Ham talked about this in, in the in the presser. It's like he doesn't remember anybody uh, for any of his teams. Um, I'm sure somebody did at some point, but he doesn't. It's not like them to play a guy the entire game. Right. He's uh, he's done it. Not necessarily he's played every second. He's, he's played a lot of minutes this season, close. and um, it just goes to show you the the lack of depth right now. And um, golly, uh, Florida State the last couple of years have been hit with the injury bug, um, and if they get healthy next season, who knows? But also you have to wonder, um, you know, I, I think we could all agree that, that Alford's a pretty aggressive um, athletic director. Um, do, do, do you think that it's possible that, that he, he possibly gets the lobby treatment, uh, Coach Ham? I mean, we talked about that earlier this year, I think, because yeah. they started one and nine and yeah. it was really mm-hmm. ugly. They've been able to tread water since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think kind of like what you were talking about, if the, if the coaches get pressured a little bit, one thing they can point to, you know, they had a three-man bench on, on Saturday. No one played more than eight minutes, as Ian said. Uh, all starters played 30 minutes or more. Darren Green and Caleb Mills both played 38, almost the whole game, combined with Cleveland, who played 40. And I think that could play hand-in-hand with the struggles defensively, especially just running around the perimeter against Wake and against Virginia, just getting circled around defensively, and you never get to hit the bench, you just get worn out. And, and all it takes is a team making an extra pass or two and chasing that ball on every possession, and it's it's just going to be tough. I can say with definition, however, that I don't think there will be any Bobby Bowden situation here because there's no Jimbo Fisher waiting in the wings. That's true. There's no pressure. No one's being <laughs> – there's nobody who's going to come in knock on uh, Michael Alford's door and say, what? Uh, you got to gotta get this Coach Hamilton out of here. Got, get him out of here. Bark, bark. I, I can't do it with this man. Get him out of here. It's a good Jimbo, imp- it's a good Jimbo impression. <laughs> That's a good point, though. I, I, when you consider that, you know, everyone always fire the coach, get rid of the coach, coach is the problem in any sport, any team. But the logical response is, well, what's the alternative? Who are you going to go to? And mm-hmm. if Florida State doesn't have someone to go to, uh, that that'll be a situation. Well, you can get somebody from the transfer with. portal. <laughs> a coach from the that, transfer portal. That's 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 the solution to all, all problems nowadays in college football. Right. The transfer portal. So. Could buy out Sean Payton. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, it's yeah. a lot. <laughs> Jim, Jim Harbaugh's off the market as of right now, but Sean yeah. Payton is available as far as we know. Yeah. A lot of people from New York moving to Florida, some Italian heritage. Maybe head out to the Italian uh, professional basketball league. They may know somebody. It's going to be an interesting season to follow the rest of the stretch to see if they can if they can get it turned around with some players coming back. Baba included, he'll be missing some time, as we said, with the tonsillitis. But uh, you look at their the road ahead tomorrow night. They'll go uh, up to South Bend to play Notre Dame, who's nine and nine, just one and six in ACC play. Florida State beat them here just a couple of days before Christmas, and uh, so that's a favorable matchup. Certainly one of the bottom teams in the conference. And then on Saturday. They'll go to Pittsburgh. Uh, the Panthers are 12 and six, five and two in ACC play. So that'll be a much tougher game, and it seems like they tend to struggle against Pitt as well. So that's where the men are right now. FSU women's basketball, though, 16 and four, five and two in the conference portion of the schedule, uh, and their win on Thursday night, 19 point victory, 91 to 72 over the number 11 team in the country, the NC State Wolfpack. Florida State out-rebounded them by 14. Tania Latson had, you know, another stellar performance. 13 of 16 from the field, incredibly efficient, 31 points. Uh, that's an FSU record, by the way. Uh, her sixth 30th point game of the season already, and there's still a ton of games left to go. And she's a true freshman, so uh, every week we talk about how insane it is, everything that she's doing. Uh, but Sarah Bajetti getting some more credit here as of late. Uh, scored 21 points in just 27 minutes. She's had 20 points or more 
in her last three games, a player that's only averaging about 11 points on the season. So she's really turned it around. They win that game on Thursday night, and then the loss yesterday afternoon to Louisville, another kind of premier team uh, in the conference. Florida State loses to the Cardinals 82-75. to Florida State controlled much of the first half. Uh, both teams neck and neck throughout uh, the third quarter, but then Louisville broke away with a 31-18 margin in the fourth quarter uh, to run away with the win. Uh, FSU got out-rebounded by 14. That's It's hard to get a read on this team. They out-rebound NC State by 14, then they get out-rebounded by 14. Uh, like I said, hard to make sense of that. Tania Latson had one of her worst games of the year, 3 of 16 from the field, just 11 points. Started 0 of 6 from the field. And Sarah Bajetti, who we just talked about, really stepped up, scored 25 points uh, to lead the team and, and on a great run that she's been on. She shot much more threes uh, the last few games. And then on the other side for Louisville, a former Florida State Seminole, played four seasons in the Garnet and Gold, but now with Louisville, Morgan Jones led uh, the Cardinals with 25 points and 10 rebounds. She was 9 of 10 from the field. So if you want to call that a revenge game or just having a nice day against your old squad, uh, feeling comfortable in a, in a building you know well, that was Morgan Jones. And so, yeah, 25 points in 27 minutes, that's that's impressive. It is. So a one-in-one week, you certainly can't call it a disappointment because they beat a team that was on the cusp of in the top 10. Uh, but just like a, a last week as well, kind of a disappointing loss on a Sunday afternoon to, I guess, not leave a great taste in your mouth going into the next week. Yeah, and, you know, this is a Florida State team, um, like you said. They're kind of on the rise, and, and I know they, they've been uh, a, a solid ball club the last decade, really. I mean, they've, they've been not necessarily a, um, you know, a, a UConn or a South Carolina, but, but they've been a top 25 team consistently the last decade, absolutely. So, but at the same time, you know, uh, Louisville's 14 and – well, they were 14 and 5 going into that game um, – Five and one in conference, or five, excuse me, four and two in conference play. So um, they weren't scrubs either. Um, the ACC will always be a tough basketball conference. Um, so losses happen. Losses happen at home, and uh, expect Florida State, I think, to make a solid run in March. Calling your shot. That's what's interesting and something to to keep in mind with context of this Florida State women's basketball season. They weren't picked to to do well in the ACC. But you look at the bracketology as of right now, I think the last uh, you know, prediction had Florida State as a five seed in the national tournament. So uh, still doing very, very well at 16-4. and four. Still haven't captured that national ranking, but they're hanging around, doing enough to get there. Uh, this is their second one-in-one week in a row. Uh, the schedule gets a little bit easier this upcoming week. They go to Virginia, and they're home against Pitt. Neither of those teams are... Uh, incredibly well regarded uh, on the women's side, uh, unlike, you know, obviously how we just talked about with the men. So uh, they'll have some ranked games after that, but next week a chance maybe to get a couple games in the win column. So that's where things stand there. Where we stand now is we're about to go over to the NFL playoffs. Again, this is Tomahawk Talk with William, Jackson, Andrew, and Ian. You can call the show at 850-644-1837. And the game that I think we'd be much remiss if we didn't start with, one of the greatest comebacks in NFL history, NFL playoff history, the Jacksonville Jaguars at home beat the Chargers 31-30 to on Saturday night. The Chargers went up 27-0 in the first half. 27-0 they opened the game with, and somehow, like the Chargers always seem to do, they found a miraculous way to end up losing the game. Trevor Lawrence threw four interceptions. Three came in the first quarter. There was a pass tipped at the line uh, that was intercepted. There was also a play on a fourth down where Lawrence just had no choice but to force a ball into the window. But the other two interceptions, I mean, the Chargers' defense was playing him well. It seemed like he was kind of seeing ghosts throw into to lanes that weren't open. So he looked lost, and all of a sudden that uh, Lawrence and that offense – and that nearly $200 million receiving core that they bought in the offseason started to turn it on and starting to put some points on the scoreboard. The Jaguars started the game 0 of 7 on third down. They only finished 2 of 10 despite scoring 31 points, which is amazing. The Chargers only with three second-half points. 
Um, and, and so to set it up there, what a disappointing loss for the Chargers, but what a what a great win for Jacksonville as well, keeping their season alive and they advance. And you know, I was I was on the golf course today and um I overheard some, some older gentlemen talking about uh the Jags Chargers game and you know, uh one feller said, You know, I, I saw twenty seven oh and I went to bed and, and honestly I almost did the same thing. Um but what what kept me interested in the game is you know, the Chargers, they're obviously their defense looked good. Asante Samuel had three interceptions. He had an absolutely stupendous night. Florida State, former Florida Seminole. State, Florida State, Seminole, that's right. Um, but the Chargers' offense didn't necessarily look good, even though they put 27 points up. They, you know, they had short fields the entire night um, in that first half. And you just kind of kept thinking, well, you know, if, if, if the Jags can, can get a couple scores and can force the Chargers to start from their own 25, um, maybe you know things will start to start to change. And I will say, uh, the host, William Haynes, called it. He called it. I was I was watching the game with Mr. Haynes. Um, he called. He said that the Chargers will find a way to lose. They found a way to lose. Mr. Haynes' uh, prediction of the year, in-game prediction of the year, I would say. Uh, so everybody, if we give a round of applause for <laughs> William Haynes on that prediction. You're still young. That's right. That's right. Um, so we'll go semester, prediction of the semester. Yeah. yeah I think that's fair. But Yeah, yeah we watched um, the, uh, the game together Saturday night, you and a, a couple of mutual friends. And I, I can't take too much credit only for the fact that the Chargers do this like three or four times every week, it's, or, or four or five times every year, I should say, uh, nearly every week. You're right about them not being able to finish up short fields. They were moving the ball, you know, look yardage wise, they were doing well, but it seemed like their drives would always stall out on the the plus side of the field. And you know, Brandon Staley playing all of his starters in Week 18 when he didn't have to. They lost arguably their best wide receiver, Mike Williams, who could have maybe given them a little bit of a boost in the red zone. Instead, you play without him. And I mean, Gerald Everett, their main target. Chargers couldn't run run the ball. As I said, they only scored three points in the second half. Um, but but Jacksonville deserves a lot of credit as well. Trevor Lawrence coming off the mat. Like I said, four interceptions. Finished the game with four touchdowns and nearly 300 yards. We talked about this game previewing it last week. I honestly thought the blueprint for Jacksonville to win was, you know, Lawrence maybe throws 25 passes. They run the ball a lot like they did against the Chargers in week three. Instead, Lawrence throws the ball nearly 50 times throws four interceptions, and they still win the football game. They ran the ball well uh, 20 times with ETN for over 100 yards, um, but certainly not the way anybody could have drawn this one up. Yes, certainly. Brandon Staley, head coach of the Chargers, dealing with a lot of pressure after that one, but it sounds like he'll be back. Justin Herbert said, quote, everyone would be lucky to have a coach like Brandon Staley. And just to put that statement into perspective, these are uh, Justin Herbert's coaches he's had mark helfrich fired oregon his replacement willie taggart Ooh. his replacement mario cristobal Ooh. it goes to nfl oh we're gonna get, it's gonna get some great offensive coaching anthony lynn and then now brandon staley and joe lombardi Ooh. but so so when you have nothing to compare it to right that is so miraculous for how much success he's had mm-hmm. and every mm-hmm. single coach that he's had at any level has not had any track record with offense Brandon Staley was hired as the defensive coordinator of the Rams, and his defense has been nothing but a tire fire his entire time there. They bought all of these players in the offseason, Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson. They tried to put together a star-studded group. Ends up falling flat again. We'll see if Staley stays in his job, but again, we'll just wrap it up with some some credit about Jacksonville and, and just finding a way to win the football game at home. It seemed like the crowd was in the game the whole time. Even at 27 nothing, they slowly clawed their way back in. They got their first points right before halftime. And, and you know, to the credit, uh, and to credit the people of Duvall, um, that stadium, the start of the, th- of the third quarter, that stadium looked full still, down yeah. 27 to nothing. So, um, you know, to be fair, Jacksonville doesn't get a whole lot of playoff games. So, um you know, and you buy a $150, $200 ticket. I don't blame you for wanting to stay the whole time. But, um, you know, credit, kudos to them and to their fan base. Uh, a lot of Floridians are, are happy for you. 
So just as Jacksonville is going to try and catch their breath, they're playing the best team in the AFC. They'll have to go on the road to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. These two teams faced off earlier this year. Uh, the Chiefs won 27-17. The Chiefs turned it over three times, and the Jaguars didn't, and still a, a double-digit victory for Kansas City. That's really hard to do. If we have time later on, we'll, we'll preview that one, but that's going to be really tough for Jacksonville to try and go on the road and do that. But maybe you say... They did it once. Maybe they can learn from what it is they didn't do right and get back on the right track. But uh, they're, I think they're going to be close to probably a 10-point 10, 10 underdog by kickoff. Uh, Buffalo and Miami, the other game in the Sunshine Slate that has gone final. The Bills, 34-31, somehow coming away with the win. I don't, I don't know how the Dolphins were in this game at all, to be honest with you. Buffalo opened up the game with a 17-0 lead. Then Miami goes on a 17-0 run right before halftime to tie it at 17-all. And then right out of halftime, a strip sack or kind of scoop and score fumble by Josh Allen. And, and, and the Dolphins were actually leading. And then, you know, the Bills punted on their next two possessions after that. So a really slow start for them out of the, out of the locker room. Keeps the Dolphins in this thing. Uh, Miami down to their third-string quarterback and Skylar Thompson thought no chance they scored 10 points let alone 31 without Tua Tungavailoa and concussion protocol Teddy Bridgewater had the pinky injury on his throwing hand and so it's up to the seventh round pick rookie Skylar Thompson completes only 40 percent of his passes throws two picks and Miami during the entire game only runs the ball for 42 yards yet they somehow scored 31 I don't know how they did that that's a, a, a work of a miracle in and of itself uh but all the drop passes for Miami, they could have won this game. They had the ball uh, with fourth and one at midfield, delay a game, fourth and six, incomplete pass. So everything working against them, they still almost took this game on the road. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Dolphins, you know, forgive them. You know, they, they golly, they had, had some injuries with, with Tua and also with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, but similar to the Chargers in the first half, uh, the Dolphins took advantage of a um, turnovers, they took advantage of short fields, they took advantage also of special teams. Their special teams played very, very well um, on Sunday, which is, you know, they've been a, a mid to, you know, not so good special teams unit all year, minus Jason Sanders, who's been above average, I think is fair. Um, but yeah, their special team shone, or shined on um, shined on Sunday yesterday, but this Bills team is scary. Um, with Josh Allen's Three interceptions, or excuse me, three turnovers, two interceptions, and a fumble. Um, with everything that went wrong for the Bills, they still found a way to come out on top. Uh, I'm projecting a Bills 49ers Super Bowl. Wow. What else can we say about the World's Dolphins? First alien in a Super Bowl, That's right. it would seem. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know, Jim. Jimbo Fisher? No, that's uh, that's Tony Romo Jim doing Nance. Jim Nance, or excuse me, that's Tony Romo talking to Jim Nance. That's a good impression. We've had a lot of good impressions on this show. Yeah, Ian, I just interested. In anything else you have to say about Miami? Um, well, obviously, I think that Miami played about as good a game as they could have. Absolutely. Um, obviously, the offense could have cleaned up a little bit more, and the play calling at the end was kind of the nail in the coffin. But um, yeah. all things considered, I think that Mike McDaniel did a very good job coaching this game. But, um. Sorry, my bad. Uh, but I, I think a perfect microcosm of the Dolphins' season, um, that, what was that, that third and seven, uh, I guess it was Singletary running the ball, um, that's who they have, that's the Bills. That's the Bills yeah, that's their yeah, primary. Pardon me. Back, yeah. And um, James Cook, yeah, mm -hmm. but Singletary. Yeah, yeah. So, so they have Singletary stopped on a third and seven. Um, he needs about four, five, six more yards. And he just powers his way to get a first down with 30 seconds left. And if that's not a microcosm of the Dolphins' season, we can talk about Tua, we can talk about Teddy, we can talk about Jalen Waddle with passes in, um, you know, key situations where they need to be caught. We can talk about you know, um, freak ways that the Dolphins have won, but the main ways that the Dolphins have lost this season has been their defense, and that play uh, was really what people should look at when they remember this season and they look at how it should be remembered, what caused this season to end, and it was the Dolphins' defense. Their defense played well for the most part, too. But yeah. the, like, 
It's kind of weird. They're like lost, the, they're the like, defense lost Miami more games than the offense. Yeah, oh, for sure. They're like the inverse of Ben, but don't break. Yeah. They'll look good for like almost the entire game at some, you know, sometimes, and then they'll just blow it at the end. Uh, take this game, for instance. I mean, they, they had three intercept or two interceptions, a fumble recovery for a touchdown, so many good plays, and yet they yeah. still found a way to. I mean, I understand it's Josh Allen, it's the Buffalo Bills, whatever. But he's an alien. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, as it pertains to the Bills, I don't think that that is really going to fly in the next couple of rounds. It if won't. They continue to make these kinds of mistakes. It won't. So I know that Ken Dorsey, you know, it's his first year as the offensive coordinator, so he has some stuff to work on. Josh Allen needs to be a little less cavalier with the ball. You know, he is an alien, but he's not that much of an alien. So he still needs to abide by the laws of physics. Someone like me, I've only seen Mike McDaniel coach a handful of games this year, but obviously getting to see the duration of this one on Sunday. What amazes me is how willing he is to go against the grain, to go against conventional wisdom, to do things you're not supposed to do. Again, keep in mind, he was on the road uh, with a third-string quarterback and you know, in third and long, backed up in his own territory. Instead of giving the ball off or going to a check down, he's having Skylar Thompson throw past the sticks, a pass that was intercepted. I mean, right before halftime, where a lot of teams would just run the clock out and go into the halftime locker room, he's calling a shot play deep down the field to just try and get a pass interference call to set up a field goal. All these things that you just never see, especially in the playoffs when everyone is all about just being conservative. Again, Skylar Thompson, only 40% completion percentage, 18 of 45. And I, I guess as a Dolphins fan, right, you've got to love that, that he is different, that he is going against the grain. But when he, I don't know if I can blame him specifically for this, but he admitted he didn't, they didn't know that fourth and one at the end of the game. They thought it was a first down. There was some sort of miscommunication. And he said he didn't have a fourth and one play ready in time to go and to delay a game to set up the incompletion on fourth and six. I mean, how do you feel about him going forward? Is it one of these maybe flash in the pan, but or is it they're going to have sustained success doing things that conventionally you're not supposed to do as an NFL team? Well, we know in the past with, with Stephen Ross, I think he wants to pull the trigger to get his guy. Uh, I would not be surprised in the slightest if he really goes hard for Sean Payton. We know that with the whole Brady-Payton duo collab that was supposed to happen, you know, with the with the meeting on the boat and the tampering, uh, we could go down a rabbit hole with that. But um, would not surprise me in the slightest if, if like I said, he goes after Peyton. But um, I like McDaniel. I think he's the right guy. Um, but it really, you know, some people are calling for Josh Boyer's head, the defensive coordinator. Um, others are just really worried about a quarterback situation. Names like Lamar Jackson have been floated around. Uh, his name has also been, you know, Rumored with the Jets as well. Uh, Lamar, I got a, I got um, a message for you. There's no state income tax in Florida, uh, you know. So think, you know, think wisely um, about you and your your monetary funds, please. Um, there is state income tax in New York and New Jersey, uh, so please uh, just choose wisely. But but really, um, and then you have to think about Tua. I think Tua, when he's healthy, he's a great great player. Um, but he's just been injury prone, and uh, like it or not, you know, I I pray that he gets healthy. I pray that you know he doesn't have a, a single concussion uh, for the rest of his life. But um, you know, that's that's the nature of playing football. Um, and is is it his fault for being? I mean, can can someone be more? I mean, I've never heard of someone being more susceptible to concussions. No. And, and, you know, it just seems like he's gotten freak accidents happen to him uh, on a multitude of, of occasions. And, you know, sorry, I'm kind of going on a rant, but to answer your question about McDaniel, I mean, he had them at 8-3 and three when everybody was healthy. Can you, can you put the rest of the season at, on, you know, his, on his shoulders? I, I don't know. And not only do you have, uh, you know, a rookie quarterback starting in the playoffs, but you have a backup quarterback that can't finish a game. Yeah. Like, a backup quarterback's supposed to come in, you know, to relieve the starting quarterback, and if he can't finish a single game that he plays in, as a coach, what do you do? I mean, it's, it's, it's just 
it's frustrating as a Dolphins fan. Um, you know, there's a saying that the Jags have. It was always the it was always the Jags. Um, it seems like it was always not the Dolphins. That's what it's felt like for the last 20 years, um, 22, 23 years now. Um, so, can you blame McDaniel? I don't think so. I really don't think so. I hope he stays, and uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Stephen Ross pulls the trigger. It's going to be a long offseason with a lot of what-ifs. We don't know for sure that Tunga Vailoa is going to play football again. I'm not speculating. It's just you, you don't know. and I wouldn't blame him. Right. I wouldn't blame him. Not, not, not a bit. But also that Miami was in the running for the AFC East, as you said, at 8-3. and three and you know The conference. They were in the run for the conference, too. I mean, right. Sorry. No, but I mean, and it's funny when you put it like this, you know, going with a seventh-round rookie quarterback, you don't have a chance. But the 49ers are doing that right now. A much different situation. But uh, Thompson played valiantly. He fought the whole game. Absolutely. Like I said, only 40% of his passes. But uh, that was it was a good game to watch. And, and the Bills played really sloppy. I'm not sure they deserve to win. Uh, they got a home game against Cincinnati. That's a game I would take the Bengals to win. I, just, I think they played much cleaner uh, the last few games even. But one more wild card game I want to talk about. Before we get out of here, maybe the upset of the weekend, probably the New York football Giants going on the road up to Minnesota and knocking off the 13-4 and Vikings. The Giants won 31-24, to a Giants team that had only won nine games in the regular season as a six seed. Daniel Jones played out of his mind. 52 combined passing and rushing attempts, and a really poor Minnesota defense made him look like Michael Vick with the way he was running the football, almost 80 yards on the ground, was perfect through the air as well, 300 yards, a couple touchdowns, really no mistakes. Uh, the Giants were able to have all these really long scoring drives that were really good on third down, 3 of 17 on third down. They were perfect on fourth down as well, running a couple of quarterback sneaks, and Minnesota kind of just ran out of time a little bit. They didn't play bad on offense, scoring 24 points, but a couple of mistakes from Kirk Cousins, including to end the game, where he had Justin Jefferson, uh, he, who had a step on his man in man coverage over the middle on fourth and long. Instead, Cousins uh, checks it off underneath, and uh, the, the receivers tackled short of the line to gain to end the football game. But for Minnesota, they were 9-0 and in the regular season in one-possession games. Uh, a 13 and 14 that had a negative point differential in the regular season, which we'll probably never see again. And I think as many could have predicted, maybe not this quick, the luck was eventually going to run out. And it did before the Vikings could even win a playoff game this year. Wait, who did the Giants beat? The Vikings. Minnesota! <laughs> Been waiting to do that the entire time. Yeah, I have. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, like you said, um, Minnesota, very consistent. They had a touchdown in each quarter except for the fourth. Um, you know, you look at Kirk, 31 of 39, um, you know, uh, 85 QBR, which isn't, you know, horrible in the slightest. Um, seven yards a, a, a completion, 273 yards in the air, uh, didn't throw a pick. And, you know, you talk about, you know, primetime Kirk, but I mean, he played solid. I mean, he didn't he didn't have a bad game when you look at the stats. Um, but I, I wasn't necessarily surprised. I mean, you talk about it as a huge upset. I mean, seating wise, it was for sure, absolutely. But you know, this is a Minnesota team that has shown in the weirdest moments um, to just kind of collapse, just kind of uh, fall on their face. And uh, Danny Dimes, I, I, I was you know, talking to some friends about this. Um, to see Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones, that is, uh, get a playoff win, kind of turn this franchise around. No one gave him a shot whatsoever. Again, it kind of reminds me of Josh Allen. Josh Allen, the first couple couple years, uh, people were you know, talking about his overthrows. People were, were calling for him to be replaced. And I'm not saying he's as good as Josh Allen, but um, it's good to see someone like Daniel Jones, a high draft pick, uh, really start to pan out. The Giants uh, declined to pick up his fifth-year option uh, prior to this season just to show you where the team was at on this guy. I think we'll look back on this game, especially depending on how things go in Philadelphia. The Giants are going to play the Eagles on the road next week, but I think this is more of a, 
this is more of a Minnesota defense thing than it is a Daniel mm-hmm. Jones thing. Although, like I said, Daniel Jones, mistake-free football, tucked it and ran it when he needed needed to. I mean, outrunning defensive uh, ends to the edge is impressive with the kind of arm that he has as a dual threat. Uh, Saquon Barkley only ran the ball nine times, but he was effective. A couple touchdowns and a 30-yard run. Six yards a pop. That'll always, that'll always get you going good. That day ball offense in year one is really going right now. And for Minnesota, they're all-world wide receiver Justin Jefferson held to just 47 yards. They threw it to him five times on the opening drive, and he didn't really hear his name much after that. And they only had four possessions in each half. Uh, and with how the Giants were running the clock out, the, the Vikings were forced to be almost perfect on offense, and they came up short on a couple drives, which ended up being the difference. And, and the Giants come out on the winning end, 31-24. Like I said, uh, they'll go to Philadelphia. we got a couple of minutes, so I think we might as well use that with some quick picks for the divisional round. We'll start with Jaguars and Chiefs. Chiefs at home, favored by 8.5. They got the first round by. They beat the Jaguars in the regular season. Any chance for Jacksonville for a huge upset? You know, maybe if the Chiefs had to play a uh, strenuous game the week before, or as in this past weekend, uh, maybe I'd take the Jags in a shocker just based right on the momentum. But, you know, the the Chiefs, they've been such a great ball club the last five, six years, um, even back to the Alex Smith days. Um, them on a week's rest, they've got a lot of key pieces ready to go. I just don't see any way the Jaguars pull it out. Yeah, I definitely agree. The, the Chiefs, I mean, they've, they've had a couple, you know, scares this season against the Texans and whatnot, but with a week of preparation and the success that Andy Reid has had with his club, you know. Andy Reid off a of bye in his career. Exact, right. Impossible to beat. Yeah, and I mean, you know, of course, it's, it's always been Jacksonville. It's always Jacksonville, but it's not going to be this week. Okay, but Doug Peterson, when he's had four tubs of Hagen dazs in one night, pretty hard to beat, too. That's true. That's true. true. On Sunday afternoon, the Bengals, who beat the Ravens at home in a game probably closer than it should have been last night, they'll go on the road to Buffalo. Buffalo favored by five at home. Buffalo, a real sloppy game last week. What are we thinking this one? Buffalo. Buffalo, I, I, like I said, they're, uh, I think they're going to the Super Bowl. Solid club. I think that the five-point line is too high, honestly. Um, and I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, just based on last game, of course. And then I don't really like to bet against Joe Shiesty. Don't so do it. I think that the Bengals will finish what they were starting, you know, before the accident uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, I think that they have a great chance to repeat as AFC champions. I think with with Buffalo, you look at their offense, they don't run the ball very well. Uh, not a very balanced passing game even. They don't like to throw it underneath a lot. It's all shot plays. It's all Josh Allen mm-hmm. running around doing his thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think they play very well kind of in rhythm, and I think uh, a Bengals team that's the exact opposite. I Plays good defense as well, runs the ball well, uh, and they have a, a diverse passing attack. Going on the road is always going to be tough, but Joe Burrow went into Arrowhead, I mean, last year in, in the AFC Championship and did that. He beat the one-seed Titans last year's run as well. Uh, I, I just don't think Buffalo is playing good, complete football, and I, I I would take the Bengals to to win and advance. The Giants and Eagles are playing, as we talked about. I think that might be the easiest game to pick for Philadelphia. And then the 49ers on Sunday night will host either Tampa Bay or Dallas, depending on who wins. So that's it. For tonight's show, William, real quick, we need a prediction for your for your Tampa Bay game. What's your prediction? Oh, they're they're beating the Cowboys tonight. Just like I agree. just like I agree. the Chargers are going to blow it, the Cowboys are going to find a way to I blow agree. this game. So, with that being said, for Tomahawk Talk, I've been William Haynes, Jackson Bakich, Ian Hughes, Andrew Cheney, our producer, uh, as always, Jack Oliaro. Uh, new release is coming up next. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, Box. the voice of Florida State.